0: october 2009 and he had a a release just about to come out on spearhead i refuse we we actually didn't know what a buzz there was on him already at that gig it was insane because everybody in the room was singing i refuse we just knew wow yeah boris has got a connection with people
1: this is the last weekly quit podcast Welcome back to the Last Week Liquid Podcast. hope you're all having an amazing week, wherever you are in the world. My name is Simon, and I produce drum and bass under the name Mill Street. And today, as you've seen from the title, I'm bringing you a very, very, very special guest. Tony, aka London uh, Electricity, aka the co-founder of Hospital Records. Um, This is a huge milestone for me Uh, and I think you'd probably hear in the episode that I was quite stressed (laughs) especially the first few 10-15 minutes Um, but yeah this was a huge milestone for me in my podcasting journey to get uh, the guy behind uh, the first few Netsky albums Uh, if you've been a listener of this show for any number of episodes you'll know that uh, that first Netsky album was a huge influence on me and to be able to chat with tony about the backstory of how he found out about Nesky, how he brought him on board and all of that was uh was really special so yeah big milestone for me even though i was super uh super stressed during this recording um but i really enjoyed it tony's a just a pure gentleman a super nice guy and for him to come on my Humble little podcast was really special. So, yeah, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, we don't talk only about Neskay. Um, we talk about uh, his recent decision to leave hospital. That was quite a important part of the, the discussion, obviously. Uh, some of the reasons behind uh, him stepping down. Um, we talk about, uh, yeah, just his journey with hospital. His new venture now with uh, his new podcast. Um, his signing of uh, Winslow uh, and a ton of other topics. So yeah, really hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, it's definitely gonna hold a special place in in my heart. Um, and yeah, I hope you hope you enjoyed. Um, so as always, uh, feel free to get in touch at any time uh, on my socials uh, at Mill DNB and at Liquid at Last Week Liquid on uh, Instagram. Uh, If you have any ideas, thoughts, uh, uh, suggestions, complaints, whatever, uh, regarding a podcast, feel free to get in touch with me. Check out my website, lastweekliquid.com, for all the previous episodes, uh, as well as info regarding my music, etc. And I think I'll shut up now and uh, let you listen to my chat with Tony. So, as always, thanks a lot for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. And we're on. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Last Week Liquid Podcast. Today, I have the immense pleasure and honor to be sitting down with Tony, better known as London Electricity. Tony will need absolutely no introductions for most of you out there. But on the off chance, the name doesn't ring a bell. Tony is a drum and bass producer and DJ, co-founder and CEO of Hospital Records, host of the award-winning Hospital podcast. However, with this year marking the 25-year anniversary of Hospital, Tony announced what was, in his own words, his biggest decision since he was eight when he gave up learning the piano, which was to step away from Hospital. You can catch his newest venture, the ThinkCast, a podcast focused on the freshest drum and bass, as well as interviews and discussions with a variety of guests,
0: out now on all platforms. Tony, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Oh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm doing great. Yeah, doing really, really well. Bit, a bit hot. My studio's in the attic, and uh, being British, I don't have air conditioning, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's very sweaty.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can see. I can see the the roof just behind you, I can imagine how yeah, hard yeah, it yeah. can get. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's got, you can see the sloping walls there. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, no. But you know, it works. Sounds good in here, so that's
1: all that matters. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. So uh yeah, I was telling you before um before we start recording, I'll say it again once now and then I'll I'll, I'll stop fanboying. But huge thanks to come on for coming on this show. Uh really appreciate it. Um I've talked about hospital a ton of times in the past, and especially Netsky, who me as a Belgian was a huge influence on me discovering drone base. So I'd love to get into a bit of that later on. (laughs) Um, but yeah, huge thanks to, to you for coming on the show.
0: Well, I'm very, very grateful to be invited actually. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So while we were chatting on Instagram, um, you told me you were at a pivotal point in your creative career. That's how you, you kind of put it. Um, what's kind of your state of mind like today? How how are you feeling?
0: Um, I'm feeling good these these days. I mean, I've learned how to I've learned how to be serene for the first time in my life. Um, people who people who knew me before um, they know that I, I was always a bit of a tortured soul. And kind of very hardworking, a lot of inspiration, but never content. And I used to see that as a strength because it drove me forward and enabled me to drive hospital records forward and my career forward and everything. So I was constantly trying to get better, be better, be better, be better. Um, But I honestly think as I've turned 60 this year, um, I'm entitled to. Uh, I hate that word, entitled. Ah, no, you can use it; it's fine. Let's not use that word. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's the right time to for me to just kind of live in the moment, really. Yeah, and um, and stop pushing. I, I I don't need to push anymore. Mm. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I'm stepping forward from hospital records, and um, I'm immensely proud of hospital, mm. but I know that for me um, I need
1: something quite different. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I will definitely get into that. Maybe a bit of the early days of hospital, even though you've talked mm-hmm. about it a lot, but maybe a bit more of yeah your recent decision, how you came to it and, and things like that. Before we get into all that music hospital stuff, um, you're the first guest I have on this show who was born in the sixties. So I do have to ask you, uh, do you have any memories of the Beatles? Yeah, I didn't like them. Jesus. Okay, that's the end. Like Goodbye. You. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I didn't. My, my oldest sister did, but I thought they were rubbish. <laughs> I really did. I was, because I, was, I only became musically aware at the turn of the 70s.
1: Yeah.
0: and Going into the early 70s and I was much more into like Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, the more kind of like heavy rock side. Mm. And I thought it was just like pop idiots yeah sorry <laughs> no it's
1: fine did you did you ever come around to the beatles or
0: it was no, no i'll tell you why because you know sometimes there's a singer and wh- however hard you try their voice just makes you yeah no, uh, I yeah I can't that singer oh uh, really i can't stand his voice it's too, yeah it's, it's too poppy or it's it's i mean i love some pop singers you know there are some brilliant pop singers don't get me wrong but not him
1: Mm. So not well, even the John Lennon songs, or
0: <laughs> they're better. I can listen to John Lennon's voice a, a lot more easily, um, and yeah, his his later stuff with the Beatles, I I can appreciate a lot more. But uh, I mean, like Paul McCartney showed his he showed his hand when he did the, what was it, the Frog Song?
1: Mm, I what forget that? about that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was like a horrible novelty song about frogs on lily pads, and that was in the late seventies. Yeah. So And then like ebony and ivory. I mean, you know, he has made some unforgivable tunes.
1: Yeah, but he's made like the best tunes in the world ever as well. So it's like,
0: yeah. Well, <laughs> even we let it die is good. By wing.
1: Yeah.
0: And there is a really good drum-based bootleg of that. I don't know if you know about it. No, I haven't. No. Yeah, it's good. It's good. You can't get it digitally. I don't think. Okay, I haven't heard. Um, you could, oh, you can probably get it on a legal.
1: Well, a sharing site or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, but so nothing off Abbey Road, and then we will close the Beatles. But no, just doesn't do it for you.
0: No, 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 no. Sorry.
1: No, it's fine. <laughs> I was just hoping to create a connection with that one person who might have remembered the Beatles while they were still together. But
0: oh, I remember them. Yeah, I remember not liking <laughs> them. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, to be fair, like the first time I heard. I don't know when it was like for a long time I only heard of like Let It Be and the very big, big tunes and never mm. really did anything for me. And then I kind of went back and listened to their albums like one after the other and just like sparked something in me. And I was quite I like mean, when I was
0: when I was five, I did like um, Bang Bang Maxwell, Silver Hammond.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah.
0: That's a the yellow yellow road, yeah. Is there really good tunes for a five year old you know, they are like they're like they're like kids'
1: tunes. Yeah, no, a few are. Yeah, a few are. Yeah, no, definitely. Sorry, I, no, won't, no. I won't. I won't tear into
0: the Beatles. No, All no, right.
1: it's fine. It's fine. It's. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, and they've become such a like bigger than anything else on the planet. A lot of people kind of then rebel against that, and I don't know. But mm. yeah, I I love the Beatles. <laughs> so. They're- before we jump into uh, hospital per se and um and your your decision to step back um i had winslow on the show uh he'll be uh it was a previous previous episode actually um so we had a great okay. chat about um yeah him he had just announced he's signing to hospital mm. so yeah can you walk me just a bit through the process of kind of discovering him your decision to bring him on board uh things like that
0: yeah i mean it was last year i discovered him thanks to mike kiss um and johnny's label gold fat um and i don't know if it was on full Fat or anyway it was through, through johnny he, he released uh it was an ep by by duncan winslow and i was blown away mm. i was really really blown away and he was my last signing a hospital Records. Um, because there have been certain artists who've come along where I've just insisted that we sign them, like Heather word and Deggs um, and Kino. And yeah, w- Winslow was definitely one of those. You know, I, I think I could tell just from... It's not only about the music, it's about... Who he is, and I think he's got a really, really brilliant. Um, persona, yeah. and it's not put on; it's him. Yeah, definitely. One hundred percent honest. He is very, very understated, mm. and he's got he's got this lovely kind of kind demeanor with a sort of underscore of very, very dry sense of humor yeah. quite a dark sense of humor underneath you know? very British in that sense it is actually yeah, yeah I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that but you're right and, and he likes tea yeah. <laughs> but he's not he's not a wannabe British person
1: no definitely not
0: no I don't think anyone wants to be British you know? <laughs> <laughs> we just embarrassed ourselves in front of the whole world yeah for years but um, yeah Winslow is and he's just like his latest release gorgeous you know he's got so much more to, to to develop and come I think you know hmm. so, yeah, so really what's that.
1: kind of the like the the general so obviously it's more than just the music what are the kind of things you look at before you kind of decide to approach an artist and say we'd like you to come on board
0: well it's 100% the music actually okay um I mean apart from if the music's good and um, the person's a complete nightmare and because when you're in a record label, if you're going to do a good job with an artist, then you're going to be working a lot with that person. And you want to be able to enjoy working with that person. It's mm. Really, really important. And not everyone we've signed over the years has been enjoyable to work with. Because um, you can't get it perfect all the time, especially across 25 years with so many artists. Nearly all of them have. They've been really, really good people, really nice people. And that that's just important on a day-to-day level. So without Amazing Music, we wouldn't sign anybody, no matter how nice they are. Mm. Um, but with Amazing Music, they still have to be kind of like, they can be quirky, they can be weird, they can be difficult sometimes because they're artists. They can be all of these things that every artist is at times
1: Hmm.
0: but if they're not prepared to listen and grow and kind of like collaborate then it's not going to work you know because we're, we're a very collaborative label yeah
1: yeah yeah and i guess you do want some like artists artists that have their own like vision of what they want to achieve as well not just like be okay i'm on hospital now i'm just sending tunes and that's it like you want them to bring something more to the table as well i guess
0: well, we do, and one of the things that we we look for um, is an artist who is different from any artist that we've signed before.
1: Mm.
0: We don't like um, artists who try and make music for hospital mm. because you can tell instantly, and it sounds unoriginal, it sounds like something we've already released or one of our artists. Mm. So we're not that kind of label. There are labels like that that's not us The Hospital only exists as it is because of the sum total of all the music that we've released. Mm. And each new artist helps to shape the label.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's not a conservative outlook at all. It's more like, right, who can stretch our sound and everything and, and take us on the journey and take followers on the journey with them you know and then in terms of a and r the job is to help them be the best version of themselves mm. not to help them to fit a mold yeah, yeah it's quite the opposite
1: yeah yeah no definitely i could name like five different artists on hospital who have like seemingly nothing in common in terms of like their music if you were to compare yeah. i don't know like metric to winslow for example or or my yeah. kiss or etherwood or it's like yeah you don't Pings have
0: <laughs> yeah by, Bob. I mean, they're Above, all yeah, exactly. incredibly different. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you're taking like a new risk every time, I guess, with an artist, especially. Important. Yeah.
0: Really important to do that. Otherwise it goes stale so quickly. Yeah. And there are, there are labels who just seem to, they sign the artist, but the music kind of sounds the same. And um, that, that to me is stale. Maybe I think some people do like that, but. Mm. it's boredom for me yeah it really is
1: and so through like 25 years at hospital how did you manage to keep that like fresh perspective on the music and not just be bored of drum and bass like as a genre like how do you manage to still find
0: uh never i never got bored of it um ever not once and I've always thought and I still think that drum and bass is it's by far the most um, eclectic genre of dance music because you can make a drum and bass tune if you, if you think of drum and bass as a structural framework in terms of tempo um, within that you can incorporate almost any emotion and just yeah any era of music history, if mm. you like, in a drum and bass framework. And it's fantastic in that in that way. And it, the reason you can do that is, is because it operates at two totally different tempos at the same time. It operates at a fast tempo, 170, 174, whatever, and it operates at half that. Yeah. So 85 BPM, which is more like hip hop. Mm. slow funk or you know there's loads of classical and jazz at that tempo and you know this this came about by sampling and adding fast beats over the samples but it's when you're writing it's the same you know you can write in that kind of flavour that half tempo flavour and then you can build a drawing bass tune around it Mm. And it's, it's, you see it on the dance floor. Some people dance at 170 BPM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. agree. 85 BPM. It's usually, I've always found it. It's usually, um, men who dance quickly. Ah, that's funny. Women (laughs) tend to dance the kind of slow tempo to to the bass,
1: you know. Ah, that's funny. I think I, I I never thought about this. I think I'm more of the, like grooving. So I would be more on the 80, 87, whatever tempo uh but you can definitely people see people like dancing with their feet like skipping all the yeah. over the place and that's the 170 area <laughs>
0: yeah it is. it is i mean i find myself sometimes just head banging at 170 you know yeah that's
1: probably dangerous but yeah
0: <laughs> I've, I've got a titanium neck maybe that's why <laughs>
1: okay <laughs> yeah talking about um yeah signing in artist and and all of that so i mentioned netsky and a uh, I I do want to touch on that because Mm. I've mentioned him on many of these episodes in the past. Uh, I'm from Belgium. And when that first album dropped in 2010, huge, huge in Belgium, huge for me, discovering what drum drum and bass actually was, Mm. uh, didn't really know what it was as a genre before. Um, so yeah, huge impact on me and like what I'm doing today within drum and bass, largely due to that first album. Um, you remember how much you remember of discovering this guy, bringing him on board
0: that first album? I remember everything about it. And um, I remember it was when Tomahawk was part of the crew, um, me, Tomahawk and Chris Goss, we were the A&R and running, running the label. And I remember it October, 2009. We've gone through demos for the year, and the process was to kind of like flag up interesting talent, keep an eye on on them, have a little chat with them, maybe suggest a few improvements, see how they respond to that. If they respond well to it and they're they're clearly kind of building and improving, then we'd we think about, you know, we pull them in, pull their tunes into the studio, and all three of us listen to them and discuss: do we want to sign this artist or this artist? Um, and there was Subwave and next guy, and we wanted to sign both of them. Um, we weren't able to sign Subwave in the end, but we signed Boris, and he just had a release out on Players, and he had a a release just about to come out on Spearhead. I refused. Yeah. Um, so that came out after we signed him and he came over to do a little gig at the village underground probably about 400 capacity um, and we literally just signed him so he came over to I think he came over to sign the contract and just get to know us a bit and we, we actually didn't know what a buzz there was on him already mm. when we signed him and at that gig, it was insane because everybody in the room was singing I Refuse. And it hadn't even come out.
1: Mm.
0: You know, everybody was singing it. And we just knew wow, yeah, Boris is, he's got a connection with people. Mm. Uh, he really has. So I remember just turning around to Chris and Tom, just saying, look, we need Boris to make an album really quickly. So I said that to Boris, and he was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" I said, "Look, trust me. This is this is the thing. We need to release it at the end of May, mm-hmm. and you've got to, you've got to deliver it in uh, by the end of March. So you've got to deliver it in sort of three months. That's insane." Um, and he had a load of tunes that he'd made, which he'd sent us. Some of which ended up on the album. Um, he he dug deeper because we said, "Look, what else have you got?" And he said, "Oh well, I've got these got these these tunes. But this one particularly is really really weird, and I don't really want to send it to you." And like, Come on, just send it. So he sent us Ironheart, ah, uh. and he thought it was too strange. It is strange. And he really didn't, he didn't, want us, didn't want us to hear it. It's a brilliant shame. Yeah. It's out there, but it's in there at the same time. And he worked really, really hard on, on the first album very quickly. And because he wasn't, wasn't known, he didn't have a full DJ diary. So it was at that golden point in an artist's career. And it only ever happens once where there's a buzz there's an anticipation but the artist hasn't got any gigs yet, Mm. which means the artist has got loads of time to be in the studio. And for for a label, that is just a dream because normally an artist is too busy to even focus and concentrate in the studio without you constantly hassling them. But Boris just had the time and he worked on these sketches. And um, I think the one that probably took the most work uh, was the track with Darrison
1: yeah Escape
0: um, which I I recorded in my studio at home um, and then sent him the vocals and he got it together and worked so I think Leon Carroll's on that as well doing backing vocals um, but yeah it was it was got together really really quickly and actually looking back on it that that album is a classic mm of the genre it really is it is a real liquid classic yeah that first album there are some amazing moments mm-hmm. um let's lead tomorrow with lee harling that's an incredible tune for me boris wasn't he was never that keen on that that tune but i absolutely love it mm-hmm. it's gorgeous so yeah he, he came through it was it was it was great and that was an exciting time and it's i think it is still hospital's best-selling album ever
1: oh well i had no mm-hmm. idea it's i just brought it up because it's obviously my favorite <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah no, that's amazing how, how did um the collaboration evolve after that because he released his second album with you but then mm-hmm. i think he left hospital uh for sony i think yeah um but then he came back I, last year so yeah. tell me a bit about that that journey
0: well um all artists have their own journey you know and it doesn't necessarily fit with the label they start on and because, i think because of boris's meteoric success and his his just appetite for doing something different he didn't want to just keep doing the same and you can hear it in his second album that there's more of a leaning towards kind of EDM, which was just kicking off then.
1: Yeah.
0: And he became, as a DJ, he just went stratospheric very, very quickly. And suddenly he was right in the private jet arena. He was kind of like sharing private jets with Steve Aoki and, you know, all, all, yeah. all of these guys. I think all of them were just saying, what the fuck are you doing on a tiny little label in London, man? You know? <laughs> yeah got management and um, he started to build a kind of a pot of tunes for his third album and they were so far away from from what I wanted to release um because they were very kind of pop EDM mm. you know well made but not suitable for us and basically not drum and bass mm. so and at the same time he was he got a manager and he was talking to major labels and they just announced that he's, he's going to sign to Sony. So we, we sort of negotiated how that was going to work. And for a little while, he he rejected drum and bass.
1: Mm,
0: yeah. And I think he got so much kind of sadness from his fans yeah. about that. So when he contacted us and said, look, I want to do another drum and bass album on hospital again, it was great. You know, mm. So our door's always open if the music's good. We weren't sure if it was going to be good, but he he sent through loads of really good sketches. And truth is word, he put together a really, really nice drum bass album. And yeah. we've gone through a lot of learning stages of the label. And for a little while, when our long-term artists, people like High Contrast, um, Come On Crickets, Next Sky, when they when they decided they wanted to leave, wanted to leave. We found it very difficult mm. at first because you you assume that you're on a journey forever, and that artists are going, going to want to be on a journey forever as well. And you've invested everything in them, and their career and their music, so it can feel almost like quite a personal thing when they say, "Well, I'm going to go and sign mm. to a major or whatever." But two of those three had come back. Come On Cricket came back. Um, Boris came back. And that wasn't our asking to come back. They just, we have to let people go off and do what they want to do. Yeah. And if they, if they really enjoy that and that satisfied them, that's great. Because this is about people and it's about music. It's mm. not about contracts and so forth. Yeah, no, if they then want to come back because they realise actually the best home for their drum base is hospital, that's even better. Yeah. yeah, it really is. It's very satisfying.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because in a way, he could have put out the album on, on Sony or like wherever. Like the, yeah, it, I don't think they would have said like no or anything.
0: No, he could have put it out on three B or yeah, you know, um, BMG. I mean, but he. I think he wanted to reconnect with his core fans, yeah. really. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. yeah. Now I see what you mean. I was kind of making a parallel in my mind, like a, with like a football club or something where you're like, uh, you bring up this young talent and he's like exploding and then he gets transferred to Barcelona or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, oh wait, I thought we were doing this together or something.
0: <laughs> it's exactly like that. It really is. And we've we've got used to it. And we've got used to the fact that actually it's a sign of our success working with that artist that they're in demand from other labels, Mm. you know, and and from major labels. I mean, I'm personally not much of a fan of major labels, um, but I know that, I mean, I remember wanting to release my music on majors years ago, like in the 80s. So I know how that feels and it's kind of something that you need you need to go there and try it out see how it feels. Mm. Yeah.
1: Okay, that was my Netsky chapter. I want to make sure mm. we we covered it. Um so yeah, hospital 25 years 25 years later. Um you talked about it in a few other podcasts but a uh, decision to to step down this year later this year. Um Tell me a bit how you came to that, that conclusion.
0: It, it was quite long, actually, because I, having kind of invested absolutely everything, all my time, my energy, my inspiration into hospital. and And kind of weaponized all of my ridiculously crazy ideas for the label. And it's kind of built on that foundation. I always assumed that it was gonna be like that forever. But what I didn't bargain for was the success of the label. When a business is successful, it grows. You can't have a successful business and try and stop it from growing. And the effect that had on me was I knew the company was growing. I sort of knew that I was a bit happier before when it was smaller. But I thought that oh, would be right. You know, It'd be fine. But as it grew and grew, I became less and less happy and more and more unhappy. And that's got nothing to do with the artists or the staff. It's just that if you're if you're the figurehead. Of a, of a business and that business grows to a certain size, suddenly it changes and it becomes corporate mm. with a multi-layered management structure. Um, suddenly you have to abide by all of these employment rules, um, these business rules like GDPR and kind of like it became Exactly the thing that I rebelled against when I first went into the music industry. Mm. And I did not want to become a suit as we, we call them. Um, So for me, it's always been about creativity, about music and people. It has never been about industry and corporate governance. And, you know, not about that for me. So, I only realized last year that I was just too unhappy to stay. And, uh, the company is great. It's doing really well. Um, brilliant staff team and great body of artists. And I feel very good about that because otherwise I wouldn't be able to go, you know, I wouldn't be able to step forward from it if if I felt that me stepping forward would be be a threat to the company. Mm. But it's not because I've actually delegated everything that I was doing. The only thing that hospital is not going to have is my ears Mm. and my crazy ideas. It's got everything else.
1: Mm. So you... I heard you say on another podcast that you were feeling this like unhappiness for quite a few years, like maybe going Mm. back to 2017, 2018 already. Mm. Um, and I know it's something that a a lot of people might go through at some point in their life of feeling unhappy, but really putting your finger on what is causing that unhappiness is, can be really hard. So like in, in your case, like how did, how did you manage to like put your finger on, okay, it's hospital, it's this that's causing this unhappiness because from the outside, it's like, what else would
0: you want? <laughs> well, I know. And that, that was what made it so difficult because I've, I've always known that as hospital became successful, um, I've always known that my job is probably the best job in drum and bass in many ways. And how could I possibly not be ecstatically happy all the time, having the best job in drum and bass? Um, and for a lot, many, many years, I was, you know, I was genuinely blown away by what had happened as a result of kind of like my crazy ideas, the incredible hard work of the team, of Chris Goss and everybody who believed in a vision believed in my vision and made it happen um it worked you know the plan came together and it worked so it was fantastic but like i said when suddenly or well, it felt suddenly it wasn't it was gradually when it when it becomes so big that there is no room for crazy ideas anymore mm. because the crazy idea will just rattle around in this huge room and kind of like beat itself against the walls, you know, it, you can't shape, shape the company on crazy ideas anymore when it's a certain size. So it took me a long time to, to realize this is actually what was making me happy, mm-hmm. making me unhappy because it's a dream job, you know, yeah. how could it? Yeah. W-
1: was there also an aspect of not being able to dedicate enough time to like music, for example? Uh and things like that that you started off doing?
0: Actually, no, funnily enough, because everyone at the label has always been more than accommodating when I've gone into an album phase. So and with the last the last album I made on hospital, Building Better Worlds, I was very, very happy in the studio. And I didn't feel pressurized to not do it, to not make it. And I needed to make it, and I did. And I was very, very pleased with it. And I am now, you know, very proud of that album. Um, So, no, I think everyone, everyone in the label always knew that it was an important part of the label that I would be making albums and making quite eclectic original drum bass albums, you know, because that's a, it's a kind of signifier of the hospital's intent, really. Mm. Yeah.
1: Just talking about that album, if I'm not mistaken, that's the one with, uh, your son singing, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the tracks. Tell me, tell me how that came about.
0: Well, it, it came about because while I was in the kind of early stages of, of writing the album, um, I took I took the Secretary General to his swimming class. <laughs> and um, and we had Inja's album on the car stereo. And he just started, he just rapped over it, verbatim perfectly. And I'd never heard him do this before. And I was I was shocked, you know. And I was driving along, doing that thing where you drive along and put a video with your iPhone, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, but I did. I sent it to Inja, and he was like, what? It's amazing. He was was nine then, Mm. nine years old. So the lady culminator had an idea, and she she said, well, why don't you ask Inja if he'll write a tune for Stanley, which is the Secretary General's real name? So uh, so I asked Inja, and he was like, yeah. And he came down at half term. Um, I think it was like February 2019. He came down with his daughter. who's the same age. And we'd already worked out the title because I, I did a little practice the day before with, with Stan in, in the studio because he'd never recorded on a mic with headphones mm-hmm. before, you know. Okay. So I did a little practice. And uh, I just said, look, this is the backing track, you know, get the level right and get used to the microphone and just like, we'll record you, just say whatever you want. So I recorded it and he just kind of went, I just need time to think. I can't think of what to say. Which ended up being the beginning of the record. Yeah. And that was the title, Time to Think. So I sent that a bit to Indra and he was like, yeah, brilliant. And he came down and we just wrote it in here, me and Inge, while Stan and Inge's daughter played in the garden. And after about an hour, we called, we called them up. And it was really quite something because Inge laid a guide down, which we actually used in the track. And Stanley listened to it once and he had the lyrics. And we went in and he, he nailed it on the second tape that's amazing <laughs> it was crazy yeah really crazy and and the, the funny thing is that he's not really interested in doing it anymore that's yeah that's really interesting you'd think that Thank like with
1: his name on spotify and all of that showing his friends mm. or whatever
0: he'd want to do more of it maybe he will you know he's he's taken up the trumpet and he's absolutely smashing it on the trumpet he's doing really really well so i keep telling him that look if you if you get your MC going you'd be the only MC who was a brilliant trumpet player as well. (laughs) And people would go crazy in the dance. Yeah. They really would. So uh, we'll see. No pressure.
1: Yeah. Uh, That's a really cool story. I love those stories of like family members jumping on to like record some guitar, vocals, whatever, Uh, brings a unique flavor to tracks when you know the backstory.
0: Yeah, and I had I had to make really sure that it wasn't gonna make people cringe. Yeah. 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 You know, because that is a danger. When you get your kid on the track, you lose all objectivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I played it to loads and loads of people, and everyone was like, Whoa, that is good. <laughs> and sure enough, that year at Glastonbury, like we were all there, and he walked on stage, legs introduced him, we did the tune, killed it, absolutely killed it.
1: No nerves, nothing.
0: He wasn't nervous, but he held it t- together. He's got that ability to stand in front of 3000 people and deliver. He's, he's made know. for
1: it. He's, he just doesn't know it yet. He's yeah,
0: got it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's, I love that story. Um, so, so when you look back at, at hospital 25 years, obviously starting from like pretty much nothing, I think you said you didn't even know how to make drum and bass when you, you mm. started the label. Um, what you kind of pinpoint the, the success of hospital to like, are there two, three things you could point to that really made what hospital yesterday
0: yeah, there are, um, it's, it's, it's a, a combination of grind, hard work, but having fun while you work hard, um, that with an original vision and my philosophy all the way through was be unlike anyone else and never do things the same as other people and that applied to the music that applied to the look you know the splash that we made with the early packaging and the philosophy of the label uh, do albums from day one mm. That was crucial. The most important thing of all was because I'm an artist and I've been on the receiving end of deals with labels who don't pay.
1: Mm.
0: The most important thing of all for me was artists get paid first. They get paid absolutely everything. And if there's something left, then because at the time it was just me and Chris doing it. If there's something left, then we get it. Um, And that philosophy stuck. Because I instinctively knew that, apart from it being morally right, I also knew that almost every other drawing-based label at the time didn't pay their artists. Mm. And if we could make it work, then it would be a really big thing because it would build trust and word would spread. Mm. And it worked. So all these things worked. The name hospital worked because... We didn't know at the time but it's an international word and people know it all over the world except in germany i saw your meme cranking we actually <laughs> we had a residency in watergate in berlin around 2003 2004 and for them to sell at hospitality and um at that venue we actually made cranking t-shirts ah that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I'm afraid I haven't got mine anymore. That's uh, one of the crazy yeah, ideas we, we you did had. in t in 2003.
1: Is that like one of the ideas that wouldn't fly today in the boardroom?
0: Um, no, it probably wouldn't now. <laughs> yeah, it probably wouldn't, wouldn't
1: fly at the moment, no. Yeah, Yeah, but hospital is a great name. I, I've heard you talk about in the past about how it's like different rooms in a hospital that would kind of reflect the different... Subgenres or vibes that you were going for with the label?
0: It had a three-dimensional feel to it because me and Chris were in the pub, like, for weeks going through names, and that kept coming back to the top of the list. And it's because it's got kind of endless departments, and you know, you go hospitals can go on forever and get lost in them. So we kind of knew that both being lovers of puns, we knew that there was a lot of mileage
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and, it, and it turned out to be, you know. Sick music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sick music, plastic surgery, weapons of mass creation, yeah.
1: you know. I actually just made the link now with the event you have in September, Sonic Surgery. I only just made the link now That's the hospital universe I just hadn't made the link before
0: (laughs) yeah 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 And I mean our publishing wing is called songs in the key of knife yeah yeah uh, because both Chris and I love songs in the key of life by Stevie Wonder Mm. and the knife is the surgeon's knife
1: yeah yeah you've also said that um Like it wasn't really planned from the start, like you didn't have like this grandiose vision 25 years down the road of what it would become and that it was more of a a series of like risks that you took one after the other Mm -hmm. that kind of culminated into what it is today. Yeah. Uh, What what were like some of the big risks that you took that paid off Um, and maybe a few that didn't quite pay off as as well as you expected?
0: (laughs) It's funny you should use the word expected because I've, I've tried very hard to never expect anything.
1: Uh, yeah, that's your um, episode two of your expectations. So,
0: yeah. yeah, which actually I'm putting together now. Um, but I've always been conscious of that, not to actually expect anything and not to feel like you're entitled to anything. Uh, but I mean, certainly the big risks that paid off, and I'll get to ones that didn't pay off if I can. The ones that paid off were things like starting our own event and even when we started it quite small um at herbal in hoxton which is like a a sort of one up one down club about 350 capacity we we're really nervous because it was friday night and nobody did a drum bass night on a friday or saturday that was liquid hmm. because liquid was like a room three genre yeah. you know because in room one, you'd have, like, I guess what then was known as sort of hard step. And in, in room two, you might have jump up. You know, poor old Lick could have been you know, kind of shitty bar area or something. With some sofas and, yeah. So we, so we um yeah, we thought, well, let's just do this. We did it. And it was brilliant. We rammed it out every, every month for... Three years, I think, and it was a real homegrown affair. It was like me, my wife, the lady culminator, Chris, Tomahawk. I mean, we would do everything. You know, we would take it in turns to be on the till. We take it in turns to do the guest list, and I'd be doing the till or the guest list, and it was my my time to play. And I'd just kind of like quickly find someone else to take it over and run to the decks and <laughs> do my set. And then go back on the door, you know. And we we'd rig it. We put all the kind of banners up, and we'd do the flyering ourselves. So we we fly around movement, barumba, um, the ends, you know. We probably groove rider. We do we do all of the kind of like the really quality nights, and we we'd be there flying because we couldn't afford to pay the company to do it for us. And it really was like that. It was hand to mouth. Mm those days but that that went really well and then as most clubs do they sort of lose their shine you know and herbal started to lose its shine and we, we knew we needed another home and there's sometimes a kind of like serendipity of events where things fall into place at the right time and someone we knew got a job at heaven Um, And Heaven wanted to kind of broaden what they were doing. So uh, they offered us a night, you know, at Heaven. And we were like, whoa, Heaven, this is crazy. And our agent, Tom Schroeder, he just said, you're crazy. You are nuts. You're going to lose so much money doing this. And I remember on the very, very first hospitality at Heaven, which was sold out and there were queues around the block. And standing on stage with Chris and with, with our agent Tom, and just looking at him. And he was just like, I was wrong. <laughs> it, it was packed. And it was brilliant. The atmosphere was insane. And again, it was all liquid in room one. Mm. It was all us lot. It was me, there was Lincoln, there was Dan Newton, there was logistics. The we were all there. And those, those gigs were brilliant. Know, but it's a risk. You've got to take a risk sometimes to, mm. to kind of like to move forward. You know? yeah. If you don't, it's boring. Mm. You don't take risks. It's really, really boring. A, a risk that we took that was an absolute disaster was in 2007, uh, Heaven opened a club in Ibiza. And they asked us to go and do hospitality. But as it turned out, we had to take all the risks. So we had to pay for the artists. We had to pay for the hotel and the flights. Um, looking back, it, i got no idea why, why we accepted the offer, but we were just green. We were completely naive. Yeah,
1: it's not and exactly the
0: home of base. <laughs> no, and there was this guy who was like the boots on the ground called uh, Steve. He, he hadn't started his spearhead label yet. Oh, okay. He was <laughs> the boots on the ground, kind of like the artist liaison, if you like, for the club. And it was a disaster. There was almost no one there. And I know that Heavens Club tanked, it completely tanked. You know, it wasn't, I think we naively thought it was part of the scene. You know, it was one of the clubs that people went to. Mm. It wasn't, at all. although it was in London, it wasn't in Ibiza. Yeah. So yeah, we, we lost a lot of money on that on that night yeah. definitely
1: I can yeah, I can imagine it's hard to have a sense of what the scene is like when you're not there yourself like in yeah. London, the UK you have a very good sense of the cities and the clubs within the cities and all of that yeah.
0: and I mean now in Ibiza there aren't actual drama based nights but there are regular gigs for the kind of pop drama based superstars you know um, on a kind of a base
1: lineup. Yeah. 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 You, you talked also about, uh, your move to iTunes that that was quite early as well, uh, within the, mm. the industry. Did you see that as a, like a, a risk at the
0: time to move towards digital? Well, I saw it as a risk not to do it. Um, and this is like 2000, <coughs> excuse me, 2002. When <coughs> there was no driver base at all on iTunes, and it was just starting up, really. But I could see plain and simple that this was this is absolutely going to fly. And for, from a business perspective, perspective, for a label, what a dream to get paid for something that you're not manufacturing. Mm. <coughs> oh, it's hot in here. No worries. So, um, yeah, I, I managed managed to kind of ensure that we built a relationship with Apple and we got on there. And we didn't know if it was going to be a success. It wasn't really a risk because it didn't cost us anything mm. to get on there. I guess if it had failed, it would have cost us our credibility or something. But, um, you know, for a good year and a half, we were the only drum based label on iTunes. So, the staff at Apple loved us.
1: Mm.
0: You know, they really did. And, our, our releases from then until before iTunes started to die off did really, really well. You know, we collaborated very, very well with Apple on that. Mm. So, um, yeah. We're a bit slow with Spotify, but we, we, nonetheless, got on there and built a very good relationship with them, yeah. and it's important. You have to. Mm. It's you can kind of fight spiritually against new technology and new ways of doing things, but actually, you have to be there at the front.
1: Mm. You really do. Yeah. Do, do Do you have any thoughts on the NFTs? Uh, that was a question from one of my in the, my my audience. Um. um Pendulum just launched an NFT? I
0: don't know if you saw. Who (laughs) has? It's Pendulum. Yeah, no, I did. I mean, I haven't been interested in NFTs. Mm. I guess I'm still seeing what what happens to them because it just feels like a gimmick. Mm. You know, and I don't know if it's, I don't know how it works. I don't even know how it works legally in terms of rights, you know, If you you write a piece of music and record it as an NFT, does that mean that the person who buys the NFT can do whatever they want with that music? Can they then go and release it? You Mm. know, it's there. I don't know. So I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it'll be a good thing to do. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. I'm still definitely on on the fence about it. Uh, I read quite a lot about it and I had somebody on the show who, launched his own platform to be able to mint nfts and yeah it's i i think basically you can do pretty much what you want with them so it depends kind of how you it's like a contract like you can configure it for to give some part of royalties or no royalties at all or yeah, things like that I
0: yeah uh, i mean i guess yeah. at the moment i I still consider it to be slightly desperate mm. and a bit of a gimmick yeah but yeah You know, if I'm proven wrong, then fair enough.
1: Yeah. As I always say, the market
0: will decide. Maybe it's the future of releasing music. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Maybe it is. I think
0: it doesn't seem democratic to me in in that way. In what sense? It's it's so completely exclusive because only one person can have that tune. Yeah. but Um, Yeah. So it's only for the wealthy.
1: Yeah. But I think
0: that goes against it. Yeah
1: i think there's a lot of um like nfts that can be for example uh they can still be on streaming for example but then yes. you sell like 10 unique versions of like the digital sleeve for example and then mm. like your 10 biggest fans can bid for for that so i kind of see it as a like an extra way to build connections with 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 fans like diehard hard fans um
0: yeah I can see that it's a bit like buying bespoke skins in a game isn't Ex-
1: it? yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah which which I don't really get because I'm not a gamer at all, but I can see like the generation behind yeah. me they're, they're totally into that. they'll spend like hundreds of dollars on yeah. on skins in games, like maybe your but, kids do, I don't know
0: <laughs> but well, uh, they're not allowed to, but they would yeah they so, would if they were allowed to like Fortnite is a free game, but exactly money' made on on skins, you know yeah and exclusive weapons yeah
1: yeah it'll be that generation that will decide if it has any makes any sense or not yeah, I yeah you're right yeah so w- when you kind of look at the before getting to your future per se uh if you look at the future of of labels in general now like your experience where do you see the future of labels going the role of labels uh We've seen a lot of maybe more in hip hop, but artists starting to like just self release their stuff as well directly to fans and things like that. Where do you see the future of labels?
0: Well, yeah, that's that's happened in drum and bass quite a lot over the last few years. Um, and there's a lot of drum based artists who they've left Ram or Shogun or Hospital and set up their own labels. Um, Spy. Has started his own label, Dark Matter. He's he's also signed a new contract with hospital. Um and he's 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 working so hard at it and he's realizing how hard work it is mm-hmm. because it's it's kind of easy to, to think, oh yeah, I'm just gonna do my own label now and I'll have a bang camp and I'll get all the money. Mm nothing will happen because you have to put so much work into sticking it under people's noses, getting them to notice it, you know, getting them to even realise it exists, let alone whether they like it or not. So, and that's where a good label comes in because a good label will do that and do it effectively. I think the advantage of a a really high quality label like Hospital or like say Ninja Tune or Warp you know to look at different genres is that the label has actually has its own fan base as well as an incredibly skillful staff team who graduate built up gradually um, so as an artist you can tap into all of that and it really can give you a leg up, mm. especially, I mean, not at the moment with COVID, but if COVID ever becomes manageable, then there will be events again. Mm. And we're, we're the leading promoter in drum and bass, So that's that's also there for our kind of ecosystem of, of artists and so forth, if they mm. choose to DJ you know, or play live so there's a lot of advantages but there's also advantages to doing it yourself if you do it properly and doing it properly is basically what me and chris did in the beginning with hospital do it properly and don't don't hide from any of the work that you have to do
1: Mm.
0: you've got to do it all when you start your label you've got to do if it's just your music it's easier But if you're releasing music by other people, you can then get into the whole world of copyrights, contracts, royalty accounting, and you have to do all that properly. Mm. Otherwise it will come back and bite you in the ass later.
1: (laughs) Would that be your, because definitely in the liquid world, which is like the one I'm most familiar with, it seems like there's new labels popping up left and right quite often. Mm. Um, what, What would be like your big tips for those people kind of starting those like very early stages labels?
0: Well, I think first of all, it's do you want to have a label or do you want to have an outlet for your music? The two things are very different. If you've got the ambition to to have a label, then you need to prepare yourself to learn everything about it and learn what's involved in signing other artists and developing them and paying them, accounting, accounting, all of that. If it's an outlet for your music, it's a lot easier because really all you have to do is deal with a, a digital aggregator who will get your music onto iTunes and Spotify, etc. and you set up your Bandcamp or your Bandzoogle, or whatever it is, and you just kind of like dig away and do it yourself, um, which can work and can be good, especially if you've got a certain profile. Mm like Carlos by, he's got a really good profile and I expect his label to work for him. Mm. I said, expect no pressure, Carlos. <laughs> um So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's basically, you've got to know what you're, what you're doing. Are you going to do it as an outlet just for your music or are you going to do it as a proper label which makes you responsible for lots of other people's mm. income and well-being? Yeah. Mm. So know that before you start
1: it. Yeah. I think there's also definitely a dimension of, do you want to launch a label to be the guy that runs the label or do you really want to like push out new music and discover artists? Because I feel maybe sometimes people can get yeah. mixed up between the two of those.
0: Yeah, they can. I mean, there are, there are plenty of labels in John Bass. I mean, it was almost the norm before Hospital... Where actually, maybe Shadow is different, <clears throat> but every other label always had a well-known DJ as its figurehead, mm. and that well-known DJ would always be headlining shows put on by that label, and would always insist that they were the priority artist mm. all the time, and that has a, a massive built-in limit on what can be achieved with the label and i knew that from day one with hospital as soon as we started signing other artists i knew that i had to at times just move out of the limelight put them in the limelight let them have be headlining because it's their album coming out They're they're in the cycle they need the promotion and that's the way it always went you know, some shows I'd headline, some, a lot of shows I wouldn't. Mm. And that's that's a question of managing your ego. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of people in drama base couldn't. Mm. You know, they couldn't bear the thought that they weren't always the biggest name on the build. Yeah. You know, I I was for the most part pretty happy. Sometimes it would a bit difficult, but <laughs> for the most part.
1: Not gonna lie.
0: <laughs> no I'm not gonna lie. Yeah.
1: I'm going to yeah slowly wrap this up. Uh, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure meeting you, Tony, getting to chat with you. Um, really grateful for the opportunity. Um, we do have to chat just about your future now um, before I let you go. So what do you know first? And if you do know, uh, what does the future hold for you in the coming months, uh, years even? Uh, I've mentioned oh. briefly your podcast, your new podcast,
0: but... Uh... Yeah, my new podcast is called The Thing Cast and it's it's kind of a development on the hospital podcast that I used to present. Um, so I think each episode is probably a lot more meaty than the hospital podcast. It's based around Roman Base that I love. Um, but instead of me having to read read out lists of hospitality events and hospital releases of every episode, um, I can talk about what I want, Mm. which is, which is brilliant because uh, I can go into different sort of topics and subjects and actually get the, get the fans involved, the listeners involved and talk to other artists and get them involved and have this kind of discourse. So that's, that's, that's the plan. Mm. Um, I've got a really exciting release coming out on hospital in Mm. At the end of October, nice. Which um, I won't reveal exactly what it is at the moment. But, um, it's it's all done and ready. Uh, we're just looking at videos at the moment. And in terms of new music, I'm actually in the middle of rebuilding my studio. Um, I almost put it in the garden, but because this gets really hot in the summer. But frankly, I've sort of got the sound sorted. Yeah in this weird room but it's sounding really good and I'm, I don't really want to go through that process again <laughs> because it's quite long so I'm just going to change the layout and I bought loads more synths and I'm going to kind of nice. uh, yeah I'm going to have a lot of fun playing with the synths so I, I can't wait to get all that sorted really I'm I'm loving just being in the studio and playing in the studio and pottering about and you know I couldn't last year or the year before mm. I just couldn't do it I couldn't even turn on my studio computer. You know, I was so, so miserable with it all. Mm -hmm. Um, Now it's like fantastic. There's no, there's no expectation. Yeah. (laughs) It's all about expectations. (laughs) So uh, a lot of people expect me to start a new label. And at the moment, that's the last thing I want to do Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because I've just done that for 25 years. (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) I don't want to do another one right now. Thank you very much. Uh, and there's, there's no rush. I mean, I'll write new music and I'll see. I mean, the idea of releasing on really small labels appears, appeals to me, actually. Okay. That really appeals to me. So who knows? We'll see.
1: That's a, a call to all the small labels out there. Mm. Uh, drop a drop a mail to Tony. You he might, he might be yeah, the one yeah. for his next EP or album. Right. <laughs> mm okay well yeah uh best of luck with uh with everything uh really happy to hear that yeah you're in a better place now than a few years back
0: um yeah so
1: really happy for you
0: i really am am. i do want to give a shout out to everyone at hospital records um because i know that i was pretty unmanageable last year uh and sort of thanks for putting up with me really um and uh yeah, it's, it's great. I feel very good. and um, really excited for the future of drama and bass. And I know that COVID's difficult. There'll probably be another lockdown. And, you know, it's awful for for people whose livelihood comes from performing. I mean, Brexit as well is mm. devastating for that. So the double whammy of COVID and Brexit is completely unworkable. So my heart goes out to everybody who's starting out in their career and is just getting gigs before lockdown and before Brexit. Mm-hmm. You know? So, uh, but, but there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. You know? We'll find a way through it.
1: It's a great note to leave it on. Thanks again mm-hmm. for your time, Tony. Really appreciate it. And uh, well, I
0: appreciate being asked. Awesome best, uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you so much. Cheers.